It's uh, good to see y'all. Uh, that uh, we got a little bit of rain this morning. If you were up to get it, I don't know what's happening since then, but uh, it's been a hot. The uh, the boiling pot has been cut on. I'm just going to talk over the guys as they um, receive the offering today. Uh, it, but it's good to see you. I, aren't you impressed with Chris Chalman? He played keyboard. But but did you did you notice still they don't give him a mic to sing? But, but he's got everything else happening back there. A lot of people are on the road, man, getting, getting these last couple of weekends in before school cranks back up on the 15th. Uh, I think that pretty much everybody starts back around that time. And so, uh, man, people are, are kind of hitting the road. But I, I love our worship team. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's just Brett with a guitar up here, man. I just love their heart and how they uh, bring us to the throne of God, and it's it's so good to see you today. We got a little hum, uh, but it's it's uh, good to be here. Next week we are going to start into a new series. There, you know, everything's kind of cranking up fresh and new with uh, things around here with school starting, this kind of stuff. We're going to start a new series next week through the book of First Peter in the New Testament, and we're calling it Life on Mission. And it's going to be a great, uh, great time. I hope that you uh, can make it uh, because uh, I believe it's going to be instrumental for our church. But uh, today's kind of off week. And, and if you know me, when I have off weeks, it allows me to kind of um, uh, process with you a little bit about what God is showing me and the things we're walking through. And and, uh, and so it's it's always good for me. And I, 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 I this is my prayer. And I want to pray before we. We even open God's word here in just a minute, but uh, this is a this is a timely word. I mean, this is this is something that we desperately need in our day. I, I don't know if you look at what's going on around us sometimes, but uh, uh, I mean, yesterday, just man, you go to the Walmart in El Paso, and the next thing you know, a gunman is there in Dayton, Ohio. The same thing happened, and we're this is happening way too routinely. Evil is rampant. And there are just so many people with anger just below the surface that's just ready to explode. And this is what concerns me even more is that we've gotten a little callous to it. Oh, there's another shooting, you know. Twenty people lost their lives in El Paso. I mean, that's that ought to grieve our hearts that this evil exists. And and uh but I, I wanna I wanna talk today about uh literally I'm entitling this Will You Finish Strong? Will you finish strong? And so uh, with that thought, I, I just want to pray. And I, I want you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart today as we open God's word. Father, we humbly bow before you. Lord, we desperately need you in our day. Father, your bride, the church, has got to reflect you. Our world is angry. It's lost. It's it's seeking in the wrong places, Lord. Maybe, maybe they're seeking in the wrong places because we have not given an accurate picture of you. The king of the universe, the one who is the lover of our soul, the one who gave his life on the cross because you loved us so much. And Father, sometimes we've displayed a religion religion and organization instead of life. Father, I pray that you would take your word today and God just 
penetrate our hearts, I pray. And so, Father, we want to hear from you. And I pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Imagine that there was uh, another universe that existed, another solar system with plants, uh, planets and uh, all that's there. And imagine that there was a planet in this solar system that also had life. <clears throat> and somehow they got a copy of the scriptures and they learned about the God who was the creator God. They learned about the God who loved his people so much that he came to earth in the form of a man gave his life, and then they heard about earth, a place that he actually visited in the flesh, and that there are followers of Jesus there. And they get excited thinking, man, we've got to go to this planet. I cannot imagine what it's like, these people that are followers of Jesus on this planet. So I'm, I, we got to go. So they get up a, a shipload of people. They come to earth for the sole purpose they want to see what following Jesus is really all about. And so they land on earth. And it doesn't take them long to find what they see in the scriptures is not necessarily what is being radiated out of those who call themselves followers. And it's not just the followers. I mean, we look at the violence. We look at the immorality. We look at so many different things. But if they're coming to see what it is for Christ followers... I wonder sometimes what they see. Do they actually see a difference between those who are, so to speak, in the faith and those that are not in the faith? Do they see the same anxieties that uh, the world has, that we are anxious? Do they see the same addictions? Do they see the breakdown of the family and what is happening there? Do they see the worship of materialism and instead of worshiping the true God? Anger and divisiveness, immorality, a lack of fervency, no power. Those that are the leaders in the church are falling away. Those high-profile followers of Jesus, many pastors are falling by the wayside. And I just wonder if this is not what they see. And it concerns me that we get a little lethargic about it. We think, man, we're at church, Mark. We're, we're, the, we're the truly good ones. But I sometimes wonder, within myself, when I see high-profile Christians, pastors that, that have read so much of their stuff and, and uh, seen their life and seen what you think is fruit of their ministry, then to see them fall away. And many other people who sat where you sat, and have now walked away from the faith. It makes me say, Lord, will I finish strong? Will I finish this race, this journey of life, truly as a sincere follower of Jesus? Or will I just be another statistic? And I don't know if you ever ask those questions. Or, or if it's even a big deal to you. But it's a huge deal to me because my heart is so grieved over what I'm seeing in certain areas, and, and I'm just saying, God, would you just awaken your bride? Would you awaken me? And I've been working through the Sermon on the Mount again, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel, we're not going to go there. But uh, that's the way, if you have one of those Bibles that the words of Jesus are in red, it's all red. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So you're looking at exactly what did Jesus say. 
And so I've just been working back through some of that. And I see things that Jesus said when he's talking to his disciples and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. You're the light of the world. A city is light to all are in the, to all are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I hear statements like that from Jesus, and I'm thinking, whoa, God, is my life reflecting you at all? He said, you will be lights. You will be lights, and you will shine forth, and others will see the light and give glory to God. How many people can look at my life, your life, the light of the church, and say, Man, that's the glory of God. I just ask questions. And Jesus went on to say, he said this, we call it the golden rule, but he says, whatsoever you would have others do to you, do you also to them. For this is all the law and the prophets. And then he says this, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and easy is the path that leads to destruction and those that find it are many. But narrow is the gate, and hard is the way that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Man. Sometimes we, I I never want to make it difficult for somebody to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't want to give them a false hope either. Because it is a narrow gate, it's a hard way. Jesus said this. And then he says something else towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which really, man, this one just resonates in my spirit and he says this not all who call me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say lord lord did we not prophesy in your name did we not cast out demons in your name did we not do great works in your name and you will say and jesus will say to them on that day depart from me i never knew you you workers of iniquity wow those are from jesus and so it, it makes me think, okay, Lord, will I finish strong? Well, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, just a moment. And I, I just want to walk through some things with you, because if we're going to finish strong, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then there ought to be something different about our lives. And, and so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. I encourage you to take notes. I, I, I will stop along the way it's, it, just so I can highlight things and kind of make it clear to you. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, let me give you a background. Paul is in prison in Rome. The Apostle Paul. <clears throat> he is in prison in Rome. He is about to be executed for his faith. There's a young pastor by the name of Timothy that he is writing this letter to. But this is the end for Paul. He is writing, imagine that you know you're going to die and you got to get something out. It's that urgent. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, 
rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let me stop just a moment. And I always encourage you to write in the margins, uh, to take notes, just to, to kind of see what this says and how much it relates to us. First of all, Paul is urgent. He says, I charge you, Timothy. In other words, there is a, there's a deep yearning that I, I need to get this out to you before it's too late. And then he says, because a time is coming where Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead. In other words, there's a deadline for all of humanity. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And you're thinking, well, I'll live to be 70, 80, 90, and then I'll step out of here. You don't know. But all of us will step out of here someday. And there is a deadline. And that's what, that's what Paul is getting across to Timothy. I've got to urge you to get this out because there is a deadline where Jesus is going to judge all humanity. The word deadline is an interesting word. It, the, you look at the history of the word, it actually came about out of the Civil War. That when you had a prisoner in the Civil War, there was a certain line that if that prisoner tried to escape and he crossed that line is when you would shoot him. So it was literally a deadline. You cross that line, you're going to be shot. There is a deadline, and I don't say this to scare you, I, I say it to encourage you as well. There is a deadline for all of humanity when Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And then he says to Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Preach, we think it's what I'm doing right now. Preach is literally to proclaim. It's a, it's a, a town crier, it's a herald that would come and clearly give the message. And, and this is what he's saying, preach what? Preach your opinion? Preach uh, your, what you read in the newspaper? No, he says, preach the word. Let it be your authority that you preach. And he says, he goes on to say this. He says, it, it's for reproving, which means to correct, rebuking, which means to warn and to exhort. <clears throat> Today, it is truly my prayer that I am able to give warning, that I'm able to give correction, but that I can encourage you is what I want to do. And so it goes on, pick it up in the next verse. It says, for the time is coming when people will endure sound, will, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into all myths. T- tell me, is that not our day. It says that a time is coming when people will not handle sound teaching. The actual word here is doctrine, sound doctrine. There is, a, there is a sound doctrine, a sound teaching that people will not grab because it's going to be too hard for them. They don't want it. So they're going to go and get something that's going to tickle them, itch them, tickle their ears, make them feel good about themselves and these kind of things because they will not put up with sound doctrine. They're going to find false teachers who are, who are just motivational. You see, there's a difference between inspiration, perspiration, motivation. We need revelation. We need God to speak. And so many people are, are grabbing something else. They're grabbing something for feeling's sake instead of truth's sake. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, that they're going to, that, that not only that, they're going to wander off. They're going to wander off. Listen, many people who were sitting right where you're sitting or grew up in church or grew up under the faith and have now wandered away, it was not a one-time decision 
that they did that. They didn't wake up someday and say, you know, this is a bunch of garbage hooey. I'm going to walk away from it. That's not what they did. It was a slow fade, a slow drift. If you've ever uh, you've been out on a lake on a summer day, man, you're out there on a, on a flotation device, a raft, or, or uh, something, and you're laying out there and you decide to just close your eyes out there in the lake and uh, just enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the water, and this kind of stuff. And then you open your eyes, and you felt like you were staying in the same place, but what has actually happened is you've drifted, and you start seeing, man, how did I get here? Well, it was a slow fade. It was a drift. It's been said before about sheep that sheep nibble themselves to lostness. In other words, they'll eat a little grass with their head down, eat a little grass with their head down, and the next thing you know, they've nibbled themselves into lostness. I think we live in a day where many people have just nibbled on this world and nibbled on false teaching and nibbled on feelings-oriented stuff and have nibbled themselves into lostness. Because we do not want to handle sound, truthful teaching. And that's what Paul is getting across to Timothy. This has got to happen because if people are going to finish strong, there's something needs to happen. Now, verse 5 as we go on. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In other words, listen, Timothy, you have certain gifts in you. There are certain assignments. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about are you fulfilling your assignment? We are God's workmanship created for good works. And so he is saying you fulfill your uh, uh, assignment that you have. And it's the same challenge for us, folks. You have an assignment. If you're a follower of Christ, he's put his spirit inside of you. He's enabled you. He's gifted you for an assignment. And it's not going to be drudgery. It's going to be something actually you're going to find fulfillment out of. And he's actually telling Timothy, you fulfill your ministry. Now, in verse 6, Paul shifts gears and he starts getting real personal about the end of his life. And he says this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul gets real personal. And he starts talking about the finish line. He's seen the finish line. And he sees this is what it's going to take to finish strong. This is the testimony of his life that he is able to give. Because he says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. My, my time of departure, and the word departure is a great one. It's, uh, you know, when, when we read about people dying, we say they passed away or whatever it may be. I love the word tra- departure or transition. That Paul is saying it, it's got a twofold picture. This is a beautiful picture of that word. One is it's a picture of a ship that has left the harbor and it is going, but it has gone out of sight. You know, it's still going, but you just don't see it anymore. He said, that's my departure. Another one, it's like uh, when you, if, if you're in a camping, you break camp, you know, you break camp, you pull up the tent pegs. You take down your tent. That's another picture here of departure. He says, my time of departure has come. So I want to talk to you a few minutes just real practically on what I think it's going to take for you and me to finish strong in this faith race. Because I think some of us, 
and I, I'm pointing fingers at myself, I think sometimes we have um, drifted, we've wandered. And when things get tough, instead of the Lord allowing the Lord to take us through them, we take the easy road to think that we can go around them. And so I want to talk to you about this for a few minutes. But let me kind of give you a thought about this. If you have a sprinter and he is in a 100-meter race and uh, he's got to race it all the way through and he says, you know, I'm really good at the 95-meter race. What do you call a guy like that? You call him a loser. It's cheer to go 100 meters. What if a, a, a guy is sitting down for a job interview across from what may be his future boss, and, and you say this to him, you know, I can really work good seven hours a day for you. And the bosses say, well, we, we put in at least an eight-hour work day, but I can put in a good seven for you. What do you call that guy? You call him fired. You call him unemployed is what you call him. Or if I were to go to Pam Say, honey, you know I love you. I'm madly in love with you. And, and uh, this year, to show my love for you, I am going to be committed to you for 360 days. What do you call me? Dead. That's what you call me. Because there is a, there's a continuation, a, a total, I'm totally in this thing. I'm totally in it. I'm in it for the 100 meters. I'm in for however long it takes to do the job. I am in it for 365, uh, 24-7. That's why I'm into it. And yet, for some reason, our, our, our life in Christ, Jesus gave us full and abundant life. It's amazing sometimes we don't take it to that limit. And there are four things that Paul said that he did to finish strong. Number one is this. He said, I poured my life out. So if you're taking notes, this would be a good one. I, I pour myself out. I give myself away. I, I am a grace dispenser. God fills me up so that I can bless other people. It's not all about me. You see, we live in a day, our culture tells us false teaching, it's all about you. It's all about you. You do everything because it's about you. And when we're followers of Jesus, we give ourselves away to others. Isn't it amazing that of all the things on the Internet, the most important thing that most people think is on that Internet is their Facebook page or their Instagram? Because we are so self-absorbed. And Paul says, if you're going to finish strong, you've got to pour yourself out. And this is what he says. I love the terminology in the picture, and I want you to see this picture right quick. He says, I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering. Now, we don't know what that means. Does it mean you just pour the, the water? What it means is, is that when there was a sacrifice made at the temple, that there was sacrifice would made, and they would put, have certain pourings on, and the pouring of the drink offering upon it would create an aroma that was attractive, not just burning meat. It, this, this pouring out would give you a sweet aroma. And what we are called to be as followers of Jesus, and Paul even said this over in 2 Corinthians, he said, we are a sweet aroma of life. To point to us, no. The sacrifice is Jesus. We're going to point to Jesus. Our lives ought to be a sweet aroma that take people to Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm being poured out. You don't know how attractive it is when you give your life away. 
But we're saying, oh, but, but I got my rights. I got all this kind of stuff. Look unto Jesus. He didn't take any of his rights. He was willing to pour himself out. And Paul basically is saying, I'm going to finish strong because I've learned to pour myself out. Pour myself out for others. The, the second one, he, notice what he says. He said, I have fought the good fight. Many people do not see the Christian walk as a fight. This is a warning. There is an enemy, devil, Satan, the adversary, deceiver, uh, roaring lion, whatever you want to call him. The scriptures call him many different things, uh, but many of us just turned a blind eye to say there's not, this does not exist. But we are always having at, at war with the, the devil, the flesh, the world culture that we are bombarding against. And he said, I have fought the good fight. I have fought it with everything that's in me. Many of us have not known we were in a battle. And yet we find ourselves thinking, oh, I'm going to finish strong. I, I, I look at some of these pastors that have fallen over the last years and, and uh, um Man, my heart grieves in these uh, Christian personalities that are out there. They, they fall, and I'm thinking, you know, what the enemy does when he can take some, down somebody high profile, everybody just says, yeah, there you go. There you go. That's, that's the way it is. And the enemy uh, is, is against us on an ongoing basis. And, and his main weapon is deception and distraction. You think about it. It's deception and distraction that take you down. You know, if you were to see the enemy, a horror movie type situation, you're going, oh, man, I don't have anything to do with that. But how many times are we deceived and distracted from Christ? But yet the good news, you ready for this? Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The enemy is trying to mar the glory of Christ. And so this is what you need to do. Every day this battle is taking place. Don't think you can pick a fight with Satan on Sunday morning and him not show up on Monday to fight. Yet we try to do that. Here's the deal. When, when Satan comes knocking, let Jesus answer the door. When it's time to answer the bell for the next round of fight, saying, I'm not going, Jesus is going. He dwells within me. His Spirit is within me. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead indwells in me. He will do the fight. He will do the fighting. Paul said he fought the good fight. Number three is this. He said, I finished the race. I finished the race. And this wasn't a sprint. This was a marathon. All of life is a sprint. Any of us. And, I, and I, Let me just say this. Hmm. Many of us can run sprints good, short burst, short burst, and we can look really good. We can look like really good Christians. We can really look like that for short burst. But what about the long haul? What about the marathon, the journey to the end? I, I, I say it this way. We as followers of Jesus really don't know what's in us until we're squeezed, Right? You hear me? We, when we get squeezed is who you really are. So I say this. Anybody can act like a Christian, but can you react like a Christian? 
And so are we running the race? And, and another thought about the race is this. It's, it's a marathon. But in Hebrews 11, it talks about all this great hall of fame of faith, these great people in the faith. And then at the beginning of Hebrews 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the, the hindrances and run the race that is before us. And, and you can see all that. And many people say, yeah, that's these people of the Hall of Fame of Faith. They're cheering us on. Yeah, go, Mark, go. Go, Mark, go. And, and, and I can handle that. I, I'm all for that. But, you know, there's another picture here is that these people who have run the race before us, it's a, mar- it's a marathon, but it's also a relay. They've handed the baton to us. And how are we living out our faith in this generation? And that is part of running the race. And the other thing is, is Paul goes on to talk about how that there's this crown of righteousness, this victor's crown that is there that he will receive on that day. In other words, what what a runner do would do in the Isthmus Games or the Olympic Games back in that day is they would put the crown on a pillar. And as the guys are running, they could keep their eye on the crown. And that's what he's saying. I have a crown awaiting me, a victor's crown that is awaiting me. For this day? No, for that day. And I know we don't like to think about life beyond here. We're, we're, we don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about beyond here because we're immortal. We're going to live forever, right? That's what we think. But can we keep our eyes on that day? I want to be able to stand on that day. Pam and I, this is something that just came to mind. Pam and I do something with uh, couples that we think is is kind of fun, is that the question is this. Imagine in your mind, it's your 50-year wedding anniversary. All your kids, your grandkids, uh, great-grandkids maybe, all your friends are gathered around you, and your marriage is solid. It has been been a a joy. It has uh, led others to Christ. People want to emulate your marriage. Picture that in your mind's eye. Okay? Here you are now. Maybe you're just getting married. Maybe you've been married 10 years or whatever. What is it going to take to fulfill that picture of 50 years? I mean, what do you got to do now? You don't wait till we're at 49 years. Honey, we better get right with the Lord. We better get right with our kids. We better do it. No, no. What do you do now to prepare for that day? And it's the same way with us as Christ followers. What are we doing today to prepare for that day? So Paul says, I have finished the race. And then there's one last thing. He pours himself out. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. And then the last one is he kept the faith. He kept the faith. Notice he, he does not say, I kept the feeling. Many people think when the feeling's gone, oh, God must have left me. Oh, poor me. I love the feelings. But feelings can betray you. A movie can set your feelings off. Mexican food can set your feelings off. It, you don't build it on feelings. He said, I kept the faith. I kept the truth. I kept the fact that Jesus came. He lived. He died. He was, he was killed on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. He, he built it on those facts. I have kept the faith. The question He kept the faith even in suffering. Good times, bad times. But here's the question today. Hear me. Are you in the faith? 
Are you truly in the faith? I don't mean that you walked an aisle. I don't mean that you went through a class of some sort. I don't mean that you were baptized. I don't mean that. I don't mean that you prayed a little prayer. I don't mean that you signed a card. I mean, are you truly in the faith? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a follower of Jesus, that he indwells you, and that you are his child. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness. You know it. Are you in? Paul was able to say, I've kept the faith. I am in the faith. And here's the other thing. I'm not saying that you made a decision somewhere. You know, we make decisions all the time. Athletic gyms love January 1st. Because everybody comes out of the holidays, I want to lose weight, I want to get in shape, I want to take care of my body, so I'm going to go, I'm going to make a decision to go sign up for a gym membership. The decision is made. February rolls around, the gym is collecting your money, and you're not going to the gym. You see, a decision was made, but there's been no fruit, the living out of the decision. Jesus said, not all who call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think many have made a decision, but not a life transformation to Christ. Does that scare you? It does me. You know, I, I, I read the scriptures, and yes, somebody says, well, don't you believe once saved, always saved? Once you're in the faith, always in the faith? Yeah, I really do. But I also believe that that will play itself out. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Well, Mark, you're, you're creating doubt in this room. If I am creating doubt then maybe you need to look into it. I, I, I'm not do, doing this to be, I am your pastor. I love you. I'm, I'm warning. But I'm also encouraging you in your faith. Allow the Spirit of God to live it out. Keep the faith. One thing. Life sometimes gets hard. I know it gets hard. I know some of you are living through some really rough things. Uh, and, and this is concerning. I mean, you know, family breakdown, kids, kids or spouses that have walked away from the Lord, health issues, um, financial issues, just the issues of life that just beat you down. I, I know many of you are going through that. But I, but I want to encourage you, gosh, God will use those. I promise you, He has not abandoned you. He will take care of you. One Sunday, there was a small southern church, and they had a new pastor. So he gets up on this Sunday morning, and he calls on the old deacon out there to lead in the opening prayer. The deacon stood up, he bowed his head, and he said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. And the pastor opened just one eye and he wondered, where in the world is this going? And so the deacon continued, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor's totally perplexed. Both eyes are open and he's thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the deacon continued, 
Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain flour. But after you mix them all together and bake them in a hot oven, I just love biscuits. And he paused and he continued his prayer. Lord, help us to realize when life gets hard, when things come up that we don't like, whenever we don't understand what you're doing, that we need to wait and see what you are making. After you get through mixing and baking, it'll probably be something even better than biscuits. Amen. I know some of you, it's like lard and cornmeal right now. But God is working. I can't encourage you enough how much He loves you. In 1984, in the Winnipeg-Manitoba uh, Marathon, there was a teacher, and he had this idea for the marathon. And what he did, he, was, he taught college kids. And so what he did is he asked them how many would volunteer to be at the marathon, and this would be the thing that they would do at the marathon. That they would be at the finish line, and as people finished the finish line, on their last legs. You know how it's like. I don't. Uh, but for you that have been there, you're on their last leg, and their role was going to be huggers. They would get them, and they would hold them up and hug them until they got their legs back. They started in 1984, and every year since, there's still students that volunteer to be huggers at the end of the marathon. I've heard this is what happens in Special Olympics, too. There's huggers at the end when that happens. You know, I believe that it's an earthly picture of that when we run this race, we finish the course, we stay to the faith, we pour ourselves out, we come to that finish line at the end of this marathon someday, and there's Jesus with a most incredible hug. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me just say this in closing. And I take this very seriously. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we have an incredible responsibility to our generation to truly reflect the light of Jesus. Good times, bad times. We have that responsibility. I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment, if you would. And ask Brett to come. I, you know, just listen to me just briefly, and I, and we're, we're going to sing. Uh, hear me. To me, this is the most important time of the service. You can tune me out. You can tune the singing out. But you cannot tune out the Holy Spirit of God knocking on your heart's door. You try. But maybe today the Lord is just ever-present with you right now. In just a moment, there's going to be elders and pastors and prayer people up here, and they just want to pray with you. Maybe to help you understand, hey, yeah, I am in the faith, or I want to be in the faith. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know what He did on the cross for me. But also, some of you may be having a, a family member that's not walking. Once were, not anymore. 
Maybe you know of a friend that's just in the heat of battle and they're making wrong decisions. Listen, church, this is the time that we want to intercede. We don't want to just talk about. We want to intercede for people. We want to be stand in the gap for them. Maybe you've gone dry. Oh, you're coming to church. You're doing the church thing. But you, your faith has slowly wandered and faded. And today you're asking the king of the universe, please stoke my heart. I want to be ablaze for you. To me, this is the most important time. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, will open the door. I will come into him and fellowship with him. It was actually a picture of him talking to a church, but I think it gives a great picture of an individual life. Father, we've gathered this morning in your name. And Lord, we're looking in our day and we're asking the question, will we finish strong? Will we Put the light of Jesus on display to a generation that desperately needs you. Lord, I know within this room, there are people that need to respond to you in a personal way today. And I just pray that they will do that. It's not a magic wand. It's just a step of faith. And so, Lord, I pray that these next few moments are holy moments. We're focusing on you.